Blog Talk Radio.
We will hear a briefing as well uh, from the African Center for Disease Control and Prevention. Finally, we will review important issues impacting Africa and the international community. These and other features will be brought to you during the course of our program. So stay tuned. Uh, We'll take a musical break. We'll be back uh, with more of our program for this week. Thank you. 
Welcome back, and uh, you're listening to the Pan-African Journal, worldwide uh, radio broadcast. And uh, that was uh, music uh, from the East African state of Tanzania, uh, from the Morgul Jazz Band, uh, the album entitled Ukumbusho, uh, Volume 1. And uh, right now we want to move into our Pan-African Newswire segment uh, of our program. Our lead story uh, deals with the impact uh, of the announcement about a new uh, COVID-19 variant that was discovered uh, in the Republic of South Africa. The South African government insisted that uh, their capacity to test and its ramped-up vaccination program, backed up by a world-class scientific community, should give our global partners the comfort that we are doing as well as they are managing the pandemic. And uh, South Africa complained uh, earlier today uh, that it is being punished for detecting a new COVID-19 variant, Omicron, uh, which the World Health Organization has termed a variant of concern and is more transmissible than the dominant Delta variant. The decision uh, by a number of countries around the world to ban flights from Southern Africa following the discovery of the variant is akin to punishing South Africa for its advanced genomic sequences and the ability to detect new variants quicker, uh, the Foreign Affairs Minister said in a statement. Excellent science should be applauded and not punished, it said. The ministry pointed out that new variants uh, had been discovered in other parts of the world, Each of those uh, cases have had no recent links uh, with Southern Africa, but the reaction to those countries is starkly different to cases in Southern Africa. Israel and Belgium announced after South Africa that they had detected cases of Omicron, uh, and South Africa insisted that the country had the capacity to test, and it's ramped up vaccination program which is backed up by world-class scientific communities, should give uh, the global partners uh, the comfort that South Africa is doing as well as they are in managing the pandemic. With more than 2.95 million cases and 89,783 deaths in South Africa, South Africa is the worst-hit country on the African continent uh, by uh, the pandemic. In other news, Uh, In the Horn of Africa, uh, in Ethiopia, according to an article uh, that was published uh, just uh, earlier today uh, by Lul Sedeged Waku, it says art is part of and parcel of a given society. This is especially true for those ancient countries that have their own unique cultural identity, which is not spoiled uh, by Western culture. Ethiopia, as a nation of thousands of years, has such a reality. Before the emergence of modern art, Ethiopians have had skilled artists. Before the world knew about modern painting, Ethiopians had been using all traditional technologies to express their feelings and inspire the masses through music, painting, poetry, and similar uh, creative works. Uh, Though some of the values are poisoned by globalization, this culture is still intact in Ethiopia. Despite all the economic challenges and political pressures, Ethiopians are manifesting the true identity of of Ethiopia through art. This culture is manifesting itself these days uh, where external pressure is mounting on Ethiopia. 
However, depending on the kind of professions uh, they engaged in, Ethiopians have stood together to defend their country, thereby to pass a united and proud Ethiopia for the future generations. Lately, uh, this writer had a chance to meet one of the talented Ethiopian painters who portrayed Ethiopia in a unique way. Despite these internal and external pressures, Ethiopians have got closer than ever. All the dramas the Western powers are performing to discredit Ethiopian unity and strengthen uh, did not cripple uh, the Ethiopians even for a fraction of seconds. All the attempts to weaken the morale value of the youth have failed time and again. Using the terrorist Tigray People's Liberation Front as an instrument, Western powers have tried almost every means to threaten Ethiopian unity. However, the strong Ethiopian sentiment among the citizens is getting stronger, and the terrorist group is being punished. Despite all the challenges, every Ethiopian is contributing his or her share for the good of the nation. On his paintings, Ashen Fi Mateku has represented Ethiopia as a young and beautiful woman crying while her face is full of smiles and hope. In the background, there is an Ethiopian map decorated with red, yellow, and green colors. And at the top of the woman, there is an image of a crucified Jesus. As to uh, Ashenafi, uh, the crucified symbol at the top of the picture represents Ethiopia's trust in their creator. No matter what their differences, Ethiopians always give priority to spiritual life, depending on the type of religion they follow, whether it's Christianity, Islam, or any other. Ethiopians always pray before moving into the war front. Ethiopians always give priority for divine intervention. And uh, you can read uh, this uh, story in its entirety by logging on to the Pan-African Newswire. And another uh, information uh, on Ethiopia, the Ethiopian government uh, said yesterday uh, that the Ethiopian forces uh, took control of a strategic mountain area surrounding of Burka and Bati. The government communication minister said the Ethiopian forces that cleared the mountain uh, from the Tigray People's Liberation Front fighters is under the command of Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed. It was earlier this week that the Prime Minister announced that he is marching to the battlefront to lead the army, but it was unspecified as to which battlefront he had headed to. Soon after the declaration of a unilateral humanitarian ceasefire by the Ethiopian government, in late June of 2020, the TPLF forces opened extensive war and multiple fronts in the Afar and Amhara regions of Ethiopia with the hope of controlling vital supply routes to Djibouti and Sudan. Over 2 million people were displaced. Thousands of civilians massacred and pro prosperity uh, worth billions of burr uh, destroyed or looted to be transported to the Tigray region of Ethiopia. The TPLF forces have reportedly suffered a major loss in the Kasangiti front. A huge contingent of TPLF forces are routed. Earlier this week, uh, 12 key uh, military commanders were killed in action. According to the latest update from the government communications ministry, Ethiopian forces are marching through Gambosha, the leading industrial city in the Amhara region that was heavily looted by the TPLF forces and Shifra. Unconfirmed sources and social media report that Bati Town is already under the control of the Ethiopian uh, Defense Forces. 
What the government communications confirmed is that the army is marching towards Bati and Kambosha. However, it has been confirmed that Shifra is under the control of the Ethiopian forces. Leading the army from the Bati front, Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed on Friday said the Ethiopian forces have cleared TPLF forces from the Kasagiti uh, and that the victory will continue. We will win, he said. The TPLF is also fighting in Shoa in central Ethiopia, which is under Amhara regional state. It is unclear if the Ethiopian defense forces, it is supported by special forces and the militia, has cleared Shewa Rabit or Deborah Sina area from the TPLF forces. The TPLF uh, has not released a statement regarding the capture of Kasangita and other strategic positions of military significance in the Bati front, where the Prime Minister is personally giving leadership to the Army. You're listening to uh, the Pan-African Newswire segment of the Pan-African Journal. In other news, the African Union's Peace and Security Council will send a mission to Khartoum to discuss the Sudanese stakeholders, the implementation of the Transitional Constitutional Declaration. The decision was taken in a meeting of the Peace and Security Council, a meeting they held on the 24th of November, uh, three days after the political agreement between the chairman of the Sovereign Council, Abdel Fattah al-Bahan, and uh, Prime Minister Abdullah Hamdat on uh, the 21st of November. The council decides to promptly dispatch a mission to Sudan to engage with the authorities and other, other relevant stakeholders with a view to facilitating and supporting the ongoing transition process and to report thereon, reads a statement released on, October, on uh, November the 26th. The meeting took note of the political deal, which restored the prime minister and reiterated the signatory's commitment to resume the, quote, implementation of the political and constitutional declarations as a frame of reference, unquote, for the transitional period. The SPC, the Security and Council, Security and Peace Council, urged the Sudanese stakeholders to, to be committed uh, to dialogue. Uh, to peaceful resolution of the differences and to ensure political stability and create conducive and a conducive environment for economic recovery. The statement further said that an inclusive government, including women and youth, is key uh, for the success of the transition in Sudan. Security Council of the African Union has suspended Sudan's membership in the Continental Organization. This was done on October the 26th and directed the chairperson of the African Union Commission to send an envoy to discuss the restoration of transitional government and the constitutional declaration. <clears throat> However, the coup leaders rejected receiving the AU special envoy, saying they prefer Sudanese uh, efforts uh, to settle the crisis. It is not clear uh, if the lift of the Peace and Security Council's decision to suspend Sudan's membership depends on the finding of uh, this uh, delegation. And uh, finally, in uh, Burkina Faso, the authorities uh, fired tear gas at protesters during an anti-government rally in the capital of Ouagadougou. The violence uh, took place uh, earlier today as hundreds of protesters converged on the Place de la Nation, one of the main squares of the city. 
the crowds wanted to vent their anger against the failure of President Kabore to deal with the extremist violence in the country. The demonstration took place against a background of a suspension of mobile networks that was extended for 96 hours last Wednesday. Groups linked to al-Qaeda and the so-called Islamic State have been active in the country since 2015, killing around 2,000 people and displacing 1.4 million uh, from their homes. And with that, uh, we'll conclude uh, this segment uh, of the Pan-African Journal. We want to remind our listeners that the Pan-African Newswire is an international electronic press service. It is designed to foster intelligent discussions on the affairs of African people throughout the continent and the world. The press agency was founded in January of 1998, and since then it has published thousands upon thousands of articles and dispatches in newspapers, uh, magazines, journals, research reports, and on blogs and websites throughout the world. The Pan-African Newswire represents the only daily international news source on Pan-African and global affairs. If you'd like to log on uh, to uh, the Pan-African Newswire, uh, just go to our website at uh, panafricannews.blogspot.com. That's panafricannews.blogspot.com. And if uh, you'd like to have access to uh, the Pan-African Journal, worldwide radio broadcast uh, for today, uh, Saturday, November 27th, uh, 2021, uh, all you have to do is uh, go to our website at the Pan-African Radio Network, that's at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. If you go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal, not only can you have access to today's program or well over a thousand other archived editions of the Pan-African Journal, and the um, episodes can be shared uh, with other potential listeners via email, through blogs and websites, and uh, through social media networks such as Facebook uh, and Twitter. And uh, this is uh, Abayomi Azikawe. We'll take a break. We'll be back with more of our program for this week.
Welcome back, and uh, you're listening to the Pan-African Journal Worldwide uh, Radio Broadcast. I'm your host, uh, Abayomi Azikawe. That was Detroit's own Marvelettes, and with the tune entitled Someday Somewhere. And uh, right now we want to move into a uh, broader examination of uh, the announcement uh, just several days ago about the detection of the Omicron uh, variant of the COVID-19 virus, and uh, this was discovered uh, or detected or identified in the Republic of South Africa. And, of course, uh, there's been much discussion uh, over the last uh, two days around this with the travel bans and other measures which have been enacted and also the response from the South African government saying this is uh, uncalled for and that they are being punished uh, for doing their scientific diligence. Let's listen to Inside Story and their panel discussion on uh, this new development in the COVID-19 pandemic. The world faces yet another COVID-19 variant called Omicron. Health officials say it's more infectious than previous variants. So how concerned should we be? And are vaccinations enough to contain it? This is Inside Story. Hello, welcome to the program. I am Hashem Ahalbarra. Just as the world was starting to show signs of recovery from the pandemic, a new COVID-19 variant called Omicron has been identified. Scientists say it's more infectious than the Delta strain, and it's unclear if the vaccines we have now will be effective against it. And while we still don't know much about it, the global stock market price of oil and travel industry are already seeing its impact. Many countries have banned or restricted flights from southern Africa, where the new variant is believed to have emerged. We'll begin our discussion in a moment. First, this update from Famida Miller in Johannesburg. Frustration at Johannesburg's international airport as dozens of people try to return to the United Kingdom. It comes hours after it was announced a new variant of COVID-19 had been identified in South Africa. That led to the United Kingdom announcing a new travel ban on people coming from southern African countries, including South Africa, Botswana and Zimbabwe. It's a big inconvenience. We had our flights booked for a week's time, <coughs> but we got the news from our daughter in the UK about 12.30, 1 o'clock last night, saying that the UK were going to <coughs> introduce a red list. It's unfair, it's unjustified. Um, it's abrupt and it's not good for tourism for South Africa. Ever since these regulations were passed last night, uh, people are frantically trying to get back into the UK. South African scientists say they're worried existing vaccines may not be effective and the new variant may spread easily. The genomic surveillance in South Africa has been outstanding uh, throughout this whole pandemic period. And that's why we've been able to identify when changes occur. The fact that we are able to identify changes quickly is, is good news. It's good news for the world. Um, but uh, it, we must be careful that we don't then jump to the conclusion of, well, that equals it came from here, it came from there, and it means it's this or that. 
we need to understand much more about this. So far, dozens of infections have been identified in South Africa, while in Botswana, the government says the new virus was found in several foreign nationals on a diplomatic visit. While the South African government says it respects the decision taken by the UK and other countries to limit travel to and from the region, and that precautionary measures may be necessary, it says the decision is rushed. The action of uh, some of uh, uh, countries in terms of uh, imposing uh, travel bans and, 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 and such measures are completely against the norms and standards as guided by the World Health Organization. A possible fourth wave compounded by the new variant may further strain an already overwhelmed health system in South Africa. Famida Miller, Al Jazeera, Johannesburg. Let's bring in our guest in Johannesburg, Helen Rees, Chair of the World Health Organization's Regional Immunization Technical Advisory for Africa and member of the South African Ministerial Advisory Committee for COVID and COVID vaccine. Elasta UK, Julian Tang, Clinical Virologist at the University of Leicester in Rabat, Azadine Ibrahimi, Director of MedBiotech, a medical biotechnology laboratory. Thank you all for joining us. Helen, since the new variant, Omicron, was identified, it's panic and anxiety globally. Is it because of the mutations themselves or because this is an uncharted territory for the health community? Well, I don't think it's an uncharted territory anymore, unfortunately. I think we've had quite a lot of these scares with the emergence of new variants, if we recall, thinking back to what happened in India. So it's not uncharted, but it is concerning. Um, and we're going to have to do a lot more research to really understand what this new variant uh, actually will mean, both in terms of severity of disease, transmissibility, and the action of, of vaccines, and whether people can get reinfected. Lots of questions to ask. Julian, the WHO labelled Omicron as a variant of concern, which basically means it's contagious or could be more virulent. If it's both cases, what does it mean for the world? Yes, yeah, so the, uh, the main concern is the uh, vaccine escape capability or potential capability of those mutations. It includes the 417, the 484, as well as the 501, which increases transmissibility. So we're familiar with these types of mutations already in other variants, including the original uh, beta South African B1351 variant. Uh, and we're now seeing how much more transmissible this particular variant from Botswana is. Uh, in terms of virulence, that's more tricky because uh, comparing virulence amongst different populations is difficult because, for example, in Southern Africa, we have a high, you have a high rate of HIV and TB endemic infections that may uh, cause different levels of severity for clinical illness compared to Western countries where those two infections are not endemic. So the comparison of virulence will be very, very tricky going forward. Mm -hmm. Azadine, Morocco joins the many countries imposing travel ban on South Africa at this particular stage. Give us a sense of what you're thinking in Morocco. Are you thinking about more screening, more restrictions, or revisiting the whole issue of COVID-19 inside Morocco? Well, actually, Ashma, I think that we talked about this problem before, and we thought that maybe if we, something is not done to vaccinate at the rate, a speedy rate, actually, and to get a, a certain percentage to be vaccinated, we have this huge risk that a, a virus or a 
variance will be coming and will be coming back to square zero. And I think when you are asking your question, we don't have a lot of answers. The only thing that we know, I think so far, that this uh, variant is in different places. Actually, it's really interesting to see that a lot of people are pointing out that South Africa, but I think the Belgian cases are clear. Maybe the virus was under the radar and maybe it was in other countries. In Morocco, I think that is classical now. We know what to do is actually uh, to not let the virus get in quickly. So actually, in Morocco, we actually, the travel is really, there is some restriction. And actually, we invite people to get vaccinated. I think the true thing that we are facing right now is this vaccination hesitancy. And I mm -hmm. think if we don't get vaccinated, a certain percentage will come back to square zero. Uh, Helen, as the health community is trying to figure out and discover more about Omicron, so now what we know so far is this is very particular in the sense that it has a high number of, of mutations, particularly in its spike, which is instrumental to the entry into uh, the body. What does it mean for people all over the world when suddenly you have this variant with a huge number of mutations in its key protein, the spike? Well, we don't yet know what it's going to mean, but clearly we are worried for the reasons you said, that the spike is a very important part of the virus in terms of gaining entry to cells. But the other problem is that a lot of the uh, vaccines that we have were, were de developed to recognize that spike protein, and that was from the original ancestral virus. So um, if that spike protein has changed significantly because of these mutations, the risk is that the vaccines that we have might be less effective. And we're very much hoping they won't be ineffective. So far with the other variants that have emerged, we've seen that the, although we've seen a reduction in the effectiveness of vaccines, they still remained effective about, against severe disease and hospitalization, which at the moment is the sort of world's priority to, to tackle. But we're going to have to watch that space to, to see how effective the vaccines are. And that work has already begun. I mean, that work mm -hmm. is, 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 is happening as we speak. And the vaccine manufacturers, particularly Pfizer, which has this mRNA platform, is also already saying, well, if we have to change the vaccines, uh, can we do this and can we do this quickly? And the answer is yes. That technology has the ability to be changed rapidly and manufactured rapidly. So, so that's um, a, a sort of, if you like it, mm -hmm. that's a bit of a good news story, should that be required. Julian, the, 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 the spike was the chief target of most of the pharmaceutical or the vaccines that were established to, uh, to contain uh, COVID-19. And when you suddenly have these 30 mutations in this particular uh, case of Omicron, could it be an indication, if it turns to be really virulent, that pharmaceutical companies will have to revisit their approach when it comes to tackling the, this particular variant? Well, I don't think they have to change their approach, but I think they could be selective because not, not all of those mutations will need to be matched to a new vaccine to give uh, sufficient cross-reactive protection against severe disease and death. In fact, the current vaccines <clears throat> originally developed for the Wuhan strain of the virus are doing quite well against the various variants because of that cross-reactive immunity that they confer, even though the vaccine doesn't actually contain those mutations. So we might find a so-called midpoint of um, even like numbers of mutations required to be incorporated into the new vaccine to give that cross-protection against the, the Omicron, the new variant, but also to retain that protection against the older variants like the Alpha, Beta, Gamma, Delta that we've seen already. Azadine, Morocco suspended flights with Germany, UK, the Netherlands, 
because of the surge of uh, COVID-19 cases in Europe. Back in July and August, you had quite a remarkable surge in COVID cases and also mortality rate. Now, I guess the backdrop of this new development about Omicron, do you have real concerns about a new wave in Morocco that could be further exacerbated in case Omicron crosses the borders? Well, I have just to come back, Hashem, if you allow me, to, to the vaccines, because just to say that there is other vaccines that they are not targeting the spike protein. So, for example, the Sinopharm, the Novovax, and other uh, vaccines, they are not targeting just the spike. And hopefully this, this vaccine and the second-generation vaccines, that will be really protecting against all kinds of uh, variants. For, for Morocco, I think it's clear that Morocco will not, just by shutting the borders, the virus will not be there. And we, we saw that before. What we are trying to do in Morocco, actually, is just to slow the speed by which the virus will be coming. But I think what we have to do is just try to get uh, uh, surveillance. Genomic surveillance is very good to have in Morocco. And I think what happened, these cases, we didn't see them because they started, I think, when we saw the phylogenetic uh, of the, 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 the variant, it started on March 2020, since the alpha. And it's really derived by itself with the new variant. So under surveillance, the genomic surveillance is a problem. But I think mm -hmm. in Morocco, we know that if it's really around the world, it will come to Morocco. But I think the approaches are there, and hopefully we can fight it as we did with the other variants. Helen, when you have only 24% of the population uh, fully vaccinated, and suddenly you have news about you identify this new variant, what does it mean for the, uh, for the health system in South Africa? Well, it's very worrying. Um, we were previously getting some um, comfort because we also have high uh, rates of positivity, seropositivity in our populations because we've had high levels of uh, natural infection. So people have got antibodies, some from vaccines, but many from having um, a mild to moderate infection. The, the, the question will be whether we're going to see reinfection. And one of our concerns at the moment is that we are seeing reinfections occurring with, the, um, with this new variant, which means that the antibodies from a natural infection don't appear to be giving at least uh, robust protection. They might give some protection, but not robust protection against this, this uh, variant. Uh, the bottom line for, for the African region is that we need to be able to vaccinate. We had mm -hmm. huge delays because of access. We had huge delays because people were slow or countries were slow uh, to support um, the COVAX facility and put money in. So we didn't have the vaccines. We didn't have the funding at the beginning. Now we've got them. Um, one of the problems we've got is that we've got quite a lot of vaccine hesitancy in the region, that people, um, on the one hand, in many African countries, people are saying, well, we're not really seeing this disease. Is this really affecting us? And so we've got a, a sort of complacency on the one hand. The other thing, though, with these delays is that a lot of misinformation was able to sort of go into populations, mm. just as we've seen in, in other parts of the world, which is, is causing this vaccine hesitancy. But, but we really do mm -hmm. have to get vaccination up. I think most of us are still optimistic that the vaccines we have will give some level of protection, even if it's partial protection, even if it's not as good mm -hmm. against previous variants, but will give some level. Vaccination coverage is absolutely critical. And so one of the things that we're going to have to, and mm -hmm. we are talking about in South Africa, are mandatory vaccination policies, as we've seen around the world. In the meantime, Julian, the, one of the theories circulating now is that Omicron 
must have evolved during a chronic infection of an immune compromised person, possibly suffering from or being treated uh, of untreated HIV uh, case. Now, if the body gets into that situation and then comes out, does it come out more aggressive? Does it mean that vaccines will be less effective? Does it mean that we're likely to see more mortality rates skyrocketing in the world? Yeah, so this is not unusual. There have been case reports of chronic infections like this with COVID developing similar mutations to those we've seen in the different variants. Um, this is quite rare, but when it does happen, there is a potential for these mutations to allow enhanced transmissibility and uh, potentially in uh, more severe disease. But also, if you have too many mutations in the S protein, which is the essential protein to bind to the ACE2 receptor, you may get um, a loss of viral fitness. And this has been discussed as well. So a loss of viral fitness means that the virus may replicate through several generations, but then start to fade out. And we've seen this before. There are several other variants like the, uh, the Peruvian variant um, and the Colombian variant, um, where actually there was concern. In fact, they didn't really transmit much beyond those countries. And mm -hmm. um, so we, there's another kind of uh, silver lining to this. Mm -hmm. Azadeen, it seems like somehow we're having a replay of a past scenario when the moment uh, uh, Delta was identified, countries spent l loads of time, energy, resources, putting restrictions, screenings, and then it took them some time to share information with other countries to be able to cope with Delta, and Delta dominated headlines all over the world for quite some time. Could this be another case where we are directing our efforts towards the direction when we should be now in touch with health communities but in those affected countries about how to identify, better know, and deal with Omicron? Well, I think uh, you had it on the nail, actually. It's, uh, the thing is what we are looking at right now is how to deal with that because we are thinking that this scenario will come back every time and it will be playing catch-22. But I think the fact is here, and it's clear, we are not fighting just the variant. I think the the worst case scenario is what we are seeing in Africa, because we, we really lobbied, we did a lot of lobbyism to get the vaccines to Africa. And when you get the vaccine to Africa and you see that people are hesitant and they are not vaccinating, and they think we are confronted with the misinformation. I don't want to be a really immersion of fear, but I think if we cannot uh, get to the people to get vaccinated, we'll see this catch 22 happening all the time. And maybe the worst case scenario will be getting a variant that will be spreading quickly, giving you worse disease, and we escape in the, in the natural and the acquired immune immunity through vaccines. Mm -hmm. And here, I think we'll come back to square zero. Okay, Helen, with 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 less than six percent of the African community fully vaccinated, you have this new variant. Is it about time to review WH? recommendations, particularly when it comes to asking wealthy nations to share their stocks of vaccines with the poorer nations to be able to cope what could be a nightmare scenario if Omicron spreads globally? Yes, I, I mean, I think that we, it's a funny kind of opportunity, but we must use the, the, the current concern about this new variant to try and mobilize around vaccine coverage in the African region. Um, we had, in fact, a meeting yesterday of the Regional Immunization Committee for WHO, 
Um, and the, the vaccines are starting to come. But one of the problems we have is the capacity of countries uh, to be able to absorb the vaccines, both from the point of view of storage, but also from the point of view of delivery. Uh, many of these countries have very remote areas um, and uh, very difficult to reach areas. Some have got conflict zones. I would think that, the, that in addition to looking hard and continuing to support the supply of vaccines and the funding, mm. what we really need to do is to work with these countries and put a lot more in to try and capacitate them to be able to absorb and roll out those vaccines. Those vaccines are no good in fridges. They have to be administered. Uh, we're also worried because the people who are administering the COVID vaccines are now not administering childhood vaccines. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing big outbreaks now of things like yellow fever. We've had big outbreaks of measles. And we're seeing a decline in routine immunization coverage in some countries. Mm -hmm. So we might be trying to fix one problem, but we're creating in the medium term a huge problem in terms of other vaccine preventable diseases. So my appeal to countries would be that we have to invest in supporting particularly the least well-resourced countries in this region to be able to roll out those vaccines. Julian, when pharmaceutical companies, Pfizer, AstraZeneca, Moderna, Novavax, say that they basically have plans in place uh, to adapt to the new variant. Are they talking about a new dose? Are you talking about a new mol molecular makeup of the dose itself? Are they talking about a booster? Are they talking about a new approach that could really take more efforts, more time to be able to have a new vaccine that, co that will be able to cope with this particular variant if it proves to be really aggressive? So those, those different vaccine approaches are not going to change. What will happen is they change the composition of the virus that they're dealing with. So, for example, the mRNA vaccines, you can actually recode them quite easily, uh, including the adenovirus vector vaccines. Now, the subunit vaccines that are similar to the flu vaccine, like the Novavax, are a bit more tricky. You need to then incorporate those mutations into the, the parent strain of the virus before you then uh, use recombinant uh, technologies to produce that purified protein, the S protein with those mutations. Uh, and then the whole virus vaccine inactivated approaches like the Varniva uh, and the Sinovac, uh, you need to then get some of that uh, Botswana and you know, B11529 virus grow up in massive uh, amounts, mm -hmm. and then you inactivate the whole lot, purify it, and then you put it into the vaccine. And those take longer. The subunit vaccines and the whole virus vaccines do take longer to adjust. The mRNA and the adenovirus vector vaccines are quicker, but you still need to increase them to scale, and that can take several months as well. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at at least a three to six month lag time before we get those vaccines out on mass to the population against this new variant. Uh, as Dean, you government should be now thinking about uh, contingency plans. Uh, they've been promising people easing the restrictions. Now with Omicron, as a scientist, would you recommend against a, shut, a new shutdown, particularly your main target, your main market, Europe, is witnessing a remarkable surge in COVID cases from 700,000 cases a week to so something like 2.6 million cases. Well, I would like, I'm um, really nice to be a scientist rather than a decision maker, because I think it's a really headache to make a balance between all the economical kind of advantages to communicate with Europe and on the other hand, the risk of having the virus coming here. The only thing that I'm really, I think the recommendation will be just 
we have to wait two to three weeks, and I think we have mm-hmm. more questions now than answers. And Morocco, I think, is in a stable situation right now. So what we are doing as measures right now will prevent at least for the two, three weeks to have uh, really uh, the virus spreading in Morocco. Mm-hmm. Hopefully by then we will get all the answers to this question. All right. Helen, this is a pandemic that claimed the lives of more than five million people. And many thought that finally there was light at the end of tunnel. Sadly, with this new report about Omicron, People have this sense that this is back to square one. We're just back to the first days of COVID uh, fear. Do you share that sentiment or do you think this is something which has been a little bit exaggerated? Well, I I, I think it hasn't been completely well handled in some quarters. I think that we've seen even scientists use quite scaremongering language. And certainly the media is doing that. Um, uh, the other thing that we're seeing is uh, the sort of um, turning countries into pariah states instead of saying, actually, this is very good science. This is exactly what we want the world to do is to do good science and to release that science quickly so that we can respond and not stigmatize the mm-hmm. countries that are actually doing what WHO and the member states of WHO have all asked to do, which is be honest and transparent with data. So, so uh, you know, I, I, I don't feel that we're necessarily back to square one. We're already, we've learned a huge amount in, in the nearly two years that we've been at this. We've got new technologies. We can, as we've just heard, adjust those technologies. We're able to do uh, zero surveys. And we are starting to get vaccine coverage up. I mean, if we could really, really push that vaccine coverage, and I know from this region, we've said this to the whole world repeatedly, you know, you can't leave one continent out. It, this is not the kind of virus that will sit quietly uh, mm-hmm. where, where you want to leave it, even Thank if you, you shut borders. If, if this is transmissible, it will spread. Thank you, Helen, Breeze, Julian, Tang, Azadine, Ibrahimi. I really appreciate your insight. Thank you. And thank you too for watching. You can see the program again anytime by visiting our website, aljazeera.com. For further discussion, go to our Facebook page. That's facebook.com forward slash AJ Insights. Or you can also join the conversation on Twitter. Our handle is at AJ Insights. Sorry from me, Hashbar, but I'm the entire team here in Doha. Bye for now. Welcome back. And uh, that was a report and panel discussion on the advent of the Omicron uh, variant of the COVID-19 virus. And, uh, of course, we're going to continue to follow this uh, over the Pan-African Newswire. And all you got to do is log on to panafricannews.blogspot.com to get it. We'll take a break. We'll be back uh, with our following segment. You're like a cool drink of water On a hot summer day, yeah And with one little kiss You chase all my blues away Yeah. 
plus 251-94-550-2310. But of course, you can ask your question live. Um, and alternatively, you can use the question and answer section. Well, let me now call upon Dr. John Kengasong, and, and as I've said before, he's the director of the Africa CDC to give us his briefing for this Thursday morning. Dr. John, good morning, and you have the floor. Good morning, Wayne, and greetings to everyone on the platform as usual. Uh, we'll do follow the same trends we do every, <clears throat> all the time. We give you the epidemiological situation of the COVID-19 on the continent. Uh, then discuss what we are doing as Africa CDC and the African Union to support member states and conclude with an update on the vaccine situation. So let's start with the epidemiological situation. As of today, November 25th, a total a cumulative number of 8.6 million Africans have been uh, infected. Remember, these are reported numbers from member states. Of this number, Unfortunately and regrettably, 222,000 deaths have uh, occurred, uh, and this represents a case fatality rate of 2.6%. Uh, if you look at the, um, the trends across the, 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 the countries, we notice that, of course, uh, as we said last time, 84 countries have already experienced the third wave. And as we speak today, 11 countries, 11 countries, are now experiencing or have experienced the fourth wave. And these countries include Algeria, Benin, Burkina Faso, Egypt, Eritrea, Kenya, Mali, Mauritania, Mauritius, Somalia, and Tunisia. This is significant because as we have discussed, if you recall previously, we were dealing with the third wave and then uh, few countries had experienced the fourth wave and now you see that 11 of our member states, 55 member states, have now either gone through the fourth wave or are currently going through the, the fourth wave. Importantly, one country, Mauritius, uh, has actually, is actually experiencing the fifth wave. So these waves will continue to come and go until and unless we uh, scale up vaccines and continue to maintain good public health uh, practice. In terms of the variants, a total of 45 countries have reported the alpha variant. 41 countries have reported the beta variant. 43 countries have reported the delta variant. And as of last week, one additional country, that is Comoros, reported the presence of uh, the delta variant. Two member states are reporting the gamma uh, uh, variant. And since the number has not changed since the last time uh, we reported. Let us now look at the trends. That is the one-week trend, and then we'll look at the four-week trends. As of, uh, if we compare the week of November 4th, 8 to 14, and the present week, which we call it the epidemiological week 46, that is the period spanning between the 15th of November to the 21st of November. As a continent, we have reported a cumulative number of 24,474 new cases, new cases. And this represents an 11% decrease from the previous week. 
If we now look at the number of deaths, the new deaths, as a continent, we reported a total of 973 new deaths across the continent. And this compares to the last week, the previous week, where we, the continent had reported 1,148 new deaths. This represents a 15% average decrease in terms of new deaths. If we now look at the four-week trend, that is the week between um, November uh, 25th of October and 21 of November, uh, we notice that we have seen an, a steady decrease of 6%, 6% average decrease over the last four weeks. And the following countries, uh, 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 the regional trends are as follows, 8% increase in Southern Africa, 8% decrease in Eastern Africa, 7% decrease in Western Africa, 2% decrease in Northern and Southern Africa. If you now look at the deaths over the last four weeks, we've seen an average decrease of 8%, average decrease of 8% over the last four weeks. Unfortunately, our testing numbers are not uh, encouraging. They are not in the right direction. Cumulatively, as a continent of 1.2 billion people, we've conducted 81 million tests. And just this week alone, this past week alone, the continent has uh, reported conducting about 798,000 tests. And that compares to last week, it represents a 15% decrease. At a period where we should be testing more, unfortunately, the continent is not uh, doing a lot of uh, much testing, which again, I suppose here to make an appeal to all member states to increase the testing. We at Africa CDC continue to supply countries with a, a lot of antigen tests and PCR, that is a molecular test. So please, um, we should use those tests as much as possible. The only way to find infections and control them is to conduct more testing. In terms of vaccine, in terms of uh, uh, important events coming up, first of all, we have two important events uh, coming up, and I will, uh, we will come back to this in, in due course. First of all, um, there's going to be an update on the 6th and 7th of December in Kigali, where we will be reporting the progress that we have collectively made in advancing the continent on the, the, the vaccine manufacturing front. If you recall, on April 12 and 13 of this month, we, we hosted a summit, a vaccine summit in Addis Ababa, where several heads of state spoke at that meeting. And at the end of that meeting, President Tsisekedi, as the chair of the African Union, launched the Partnership for African Vaccine Manufacturing in abbreviation PAM. So the purpose of the meeting we'll be hosting in Kigali will be to provide an update on that. So stay tuned on, on, on that phone. The second meeting that we will be hosting uh, in December, that is, uh, this, to be very specific, December 14 to the 16th, is the first international conference on uh, public health in Africa. The first ever international conference on public health in Africa. I'm very pleased to say that already over 8,000 participants have registered and several heads of states will be speaking, uh, including uh, our own chair of the African Union Commission, His Excellency Musa Faki Mohammed, 
Uh, you've probably seen some of the, 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 the speakers on Twitter. So I invite you all to plan to attend that very historic meeting. It's the first of its kind. It will provide a platform for the continent to review uh, what we have gone through over the last two years on the continent, uh, fighting COVID and the impact it has on other uh, infectious diseases, and, and begin to uh, provide an opportunity to reflect on where we go to or how we reimagine public health uh, as uh, a health issue, but as also as an economic issue and a security issue going forward. So let me then uh, conclude my uh, the remarks with an update on the vaccine and vaccination. As of uh, 24th of November, the continent has received a total of 403 million doses of COVID vaccines uh, in 54 member states. Again, I repeat, 403 million doses of vaccines. Of that, 221 uh, million doses of vaccines have been administered which corresponds to 55% of total uh, supply. So what you are seeing now is that a lot more vaccines are coming in now, and uh, the uptake is, is challenged because of the logistics and of delivery. The coverage, that is the total number of people that have been fully vaccinated today stands at 6.6%. Several con some countries in Africa are making good progress. Uh, Morocco's, Morocco has vaccinated about 61% of its population fully. Egypt, about 12% of its population fully. Algeria, about 11% of the population fully. And Tunisia, 33% of its population has been fully vaccinated. In terms of the AVAC, the African Vaccine Acquisition Testing uh, Deliveries, uh, from the 17th to the 24th of November, 7.2 million doses of Johnson & Johnson vaccines were distributed to 15 AU member states. So far, since we started the distribution, a total of 21.7 million doses of the AVAD vaccines have been distributed. That is mainly the Johnson & Johnson. If we include those doses that have gone to the Caribbean countries, uh, it brings the number up to 22.4 million doses of vaccines that have been acquired through and distributed through the AVAC mechanism. You always have to keep in mind that this is a single-dose uh, vaccine, which means uh, to bring it to equivalence, and I use the word equivalence deliberately, you have to multiply that number by two, which means that if it was uh, either the Pfizer or, or uh, the Moderna or AstraZeneca, it would be uh, a total of at least 44 million doses equivalent of the other vaccines there. So very important. We're very encouraged with this uh, progress that we, uh, we are seeing. And just to uh, end, and we'll have a separate briefing on this, but I just wanted to flag this up that uh, the, Johns, the, the, the first delivery of the vaccines that were purchased by the MasterCard Foundation uh, contribution will be arriving the continent uh, uh, shortly, or arriving the continent, meaning the distribution will start of those doses of, of vaccines. So I think we are very encouraged. We did mention this to you that uh, we had a partnership with the MasterCard Foundation. Uh, we had uh, moved those deliveries to November, and those uh, these deliveries will go to member states free of charge. Thank you, Wayne, and over to you. Thank you very much, uh, John. 
and we continue to witness there the good work um, that Africa is doing in terms of fighting the COVID-19 pandemic. So now let's go straight to people who are online. And the first one is Sophie Mukwena from SABC. Good morning, Sophie. Sophie, good morning. Uh, yes, good morning. Uh, Dr. Nkenkesong, we see South Africa experiencing a rise in terms of the positive cases of COVID-19. And uh, there are concerns that uh, we may be heading towards uh, the fourth wave. When you look at um, the past events during the campaigns, during elections, but also uh, the reports that there is a new variant that is circulating in South Africa and reports are that it is Botswana, Hong Kong and South Africa. Are you aware as the CDC in terms of what's happening in South Africa on COVID-19 numbers? And then the reports about a new variant that is circulating. We, we are fully aware of the uh, situation in South Africa. And uh, again, remember, South Africa has been, um, has been reporting, has been very transparent in reporting its uh, cases, uh, regardless of how severe the, the, the pandemic is. I think we continue to see uh, uh, trends, good trends in South Africa, but worrying trends that it might be uh, 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 tipping back up uh, in South Africa. And that is even more worrying because we are moving towards the holiday season where there will be movement of people around. And if you recall last year, Sophie, around December, we predicted that in January, February, we'll see a, a sharp rise in the number of cases. And we saw that, okay, that is our, uh, most of our, the, 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 the numbers increased significantly, not just in South Africa, but across the board. So, so yes, we see that, we've seen that trend in South Africa, and of course, um, we are observing that very closely. In terms of the new variant, uh, it is, uh, we will not comment on that now, other than saying that, to say that, yes, we, have, uh, we are in contact with the, the authorities in South Africa. We plan to have a briefing with them uh, uh, early next week to understand more, so that we know exactly what is this variant, what is the impact of the the variant, because there are so many variants out there, but some of them have no consequences on, on the, uh, the trajectory of the epidemic, <clears throat> excuse me, and some do have a significant impact, like the Delta variant and the Beta variant that was reported in South Africa. <clears throat> excuse me. So please bear with us so that we have a chance to look at that data very carefully before we, uh, we can make any public pronouncement. All right. Uh, thank you. We have someone who's written into our question and answer section, and uh, that is Mario Baptista, who is with the Lusa News Agency of Portugal. And so Mario says, how do you explain that some countries in Africa are already administering the third shot of the vaccine? And he mentions Algeria, Tunisia, and Cape Verde. And he says, this is happening while the continental average is only around 6%. So that's the question for Mario. No, absolutely, Mario. The, our, our position in this is very clear, uh, and it should, be, it should make what I call a common sense uh, position. As a continent, 
we need to get to 70% of uh, full immunization, which means people that will, uh, have received two doses of vaccines. Today, as I just mentioned, we are at 6.6%. So from a, a policy and programmatic standpoint, this, the, our goal should be to lift the continent from 6% to 70%, uh, uh, not trying to do boosters, because we know and are aware that if you have two uh, uh, shots of vaccine, it offers a, a remarkable effectiveness in terms of protecting you towards severe disease and hospitalization. So that's an overall uh, a policy uh, guidance. Now, individual states tend to uh, do what uh, they have to do. I mean, Africa is not a country. Africa is made up of 55 member states. Our advice for that to, uh, uh, to member states who are, uh, have succeeded in scaling up vaccines uh, in, and then interested in doing the boosters is that you target those who have immunocompromised conditions and the elderly. I mean, you start with that number, but you do not make uh, boosters uh, of the vaccines, especially the third shot, a universal thing, because we truly don't have the vaccines on the continent. Let's prioritize getting from 6% to 70%, and then um, we see, we pick it from the ones we have immunized a good chunk of the population. Uh, thank you very much for that. Let's go back online and uh, say hello to Gabrielle Steinhauser, and uh, she's with the Wall Street Journal. Good morning, Gabrielle. Good morning. Thank you so much. Um, I have a question on these uh, new COVID-19 uh, antiviral pills, um, where the late-stage trial data has been very promising. And obviously, there have some, been some deals to make the manufacturing or license the manufacturing to generic manufacturers. Are you, despite these moves from the pharma industry, are you still concerned that there could be quite significant delays for African countries to access these pills, given that it will take time to scale up the manufacturing? And also, you mentioned that there's not enough testing. Um, happening in Africa, which is obviously a key precondition for taking these pills because they require this very early diagnosis. Um, so I'm just trying to get an assessment from you of, you know, what these pills could mean for, for the continent and how concerned you are that we might actually see a situation similar to the vaccines where African countries are being left behind. Thank you. No, absolutely, Catherine. Uh, there's no doubt that um, first of all, let's celebrate the good news. The good news is that these drugs have been uh, available. There's antivirals, uh, one from Pfizer and then one from um, Merck, and especially the, the drug from Pfizer, which is uh, showing us uh, uh, that uh, it with an eff eff efficacy of up to, up to about 89%, that it will be remarkable. The good news also is that Pfizer is ready to um, let the manufacturing uh, 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 be produced elsewhere, and there's the generic part of that. So we are in discussions with both uh, with both uh, companies. Uh, last just, just yesterday, we had an extensive discussion with Pfizer, with uh, Strive, Massiwa, and others to continue to negotiate on uh, how we can get those drugs at affordable rates and as, as quickly as possible for the continent. So we had those conversations, and that is the third conversation we're having with them. So we are very encouraged with what uh, we, we are hearing. Uh, today at 10 o'clock, uh, we will 10 o'clock uh, uh, 
Eastern time, we will be discussing with the folks from Merck uh, together to see what we can do in terms of moving that manufacturing as quickly as possible. We have um, other groups in Africa like Aspen uh, also engage in these discussions. So they, they, we are not just wait, waiting for um, these things to play out. We are actively engaging to see what we can uh, do so that we avoid the inequity and inequality situation that we have observed for diagnostics and, and vaccines. Uh, with that instrument, if we have that um, the drugs, then we have three things that we have at our disposition. We have the public health measures that we can rely on, backed by testing. We have the vaccines, and then we have the, the drugs. So that gives you a very strong uh, 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 toolkit to fight the pandemic on the continent. I want to be very clear that vaccines alone will not uh, get us over the finish line. Uh, we have to do vaccines, and we also have to do treatment and, and combine both of them and together with public health measures. So your point is very relevant. We are working as hard as possible to make sure that the continent is not left behind with respect to these new developments and new peers. All right, thank you. Judith Akolo joins us from the Kenya Broadcasting Corporation. And she says, my question to Dr. Mkenga Song is, are you optimistic that Africa will indeed reach the 70% vaccine coverage given that people in countries with low infection rates like Kenya are reluctant to go out and get vaccinated? I, I think, Judith, uh, the 70% rate and even more is a programmatic uh, imperative target that we must uh, achieve for a continent, for uh, our continent to be protected. Uh, we are seeing what is happening in Europe and also in the United States, where uh, large numbers of populations have been vaccinated, but uh, they're still challenged. Just imagine if uh, they were not vaccinated, hospitals would be full with um, in people uh, suffering from COVID. Uh, we should remember and always remember and not be deceived that because we are at the trough of the, the pandemic, which means that uh, we've gone through the peak and then we are at the base that the, the pandemic is over. The pandemic, of course, we have seen these waves come in. They come in and then they, they, they slow down for about one to two months and then pick, back, pick up back. And when the, 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 the wave comes, they come severely. If you remember what I said a few weeks ago, uh, 80, 80 million, about 80 million Africans died during the third wave when the third wave surged. So again, again, this is an appeal to the population. Do not be complacent. This virus is dangerous. It's out there. You may not be seeing large uh, numbers uh, of infections and death during this transmission season, but you will have the next wave. Let there be no doubt. You will have the next, next wave. 11 countries in Africa are now experiencing the fourth wave, and you will have the uh, fourth and the fifth wave. That's just the nature of pandemics. So again, my appeal to the continent is get out there and get the vaccines. And all of us should do everything possible to encourage our loved ones to go out there and get their vaccines. All right. Uh, thank you, John. Liane de Bassompierre of uh, Bloomberg says, can you specify which new variant you are looking at in South Africa? And is it the same variant as the one in Botswana? Now, as I said, I mean, just uh, please be patient with us uh, so that we do not rush into giving you information that is not complete. We, we promise you that by next Thursday, 
uh, you or next Thursday you get a full picture of this. This is uh, emerging and um, there's no uh, value in giving you information that is not accurate. Once you come back to you and give you the exact uh, information with respect to how many mutations we've seen and at what which point is it at a 614 spike protein and what is the effect on uh, the potential effect of vaccines and transmission. That's, that's all the kind of information that we don't have at this point. And until we see the data, process it, will, it will be um, uh, not appropriate to giving you information that is not accurate. All right, thank you. Let's say hello now to Maggie Stick, and uh, Maggie is uh, with Reuters. Good morning, Maggie. Good morning, and thank you very much, as always. Um, Dr. Nkengasan, I'd like to return to something you mentioned in your remarks, which is that we now have seen that South Africa and Kenya are experiencing a situation where the pace of vaccination is slowing just as supplies are beginning to pick up. And I was wondering if you could please share more details about other countries on the continent that are experiencing the same problem now. Thank you. No, thank you. There's, I think I did mention a number of countries that are making very good progress in terms of using their vaccines as they arrive. And as vaccines, more vaccines come in, we need to build the right partnerships to, uh, to support countries to take it, to, to use those vaccines. Um, otherwise, it, it will be uh, extremely uh, difficult for, for the, the input and output to be equal. And we are already seeing that in, in, in some countries, like uh, in DRC, uh, where many vaccines have arrived and they have immunized about 128,000 people. Uh, we see that across the board in Cameroon, in, in many countries, I think that, that are, they are struggling with that. It's not necessarily about hesitancy. It's about moving vaccines from the airport to the arms, the logistics of, of moving that. So many countries are in that, in the category I'm, I'm describing. All right. Um, thank you very much, John. Let's say hello now to Elizabeth Merab. And Elizabeth is with the Nation Africa in Nairobi in Kenya. Elizabeth says Europe and many countries in the West are experiencing a surge despite having high vaccination coverage. Now, with Africa's low coverage, are you concerned that the continent will experience the surge? Uh, there's no doubt about that. With, um, as I said earlier in my introductory remarks, 11 countries are already moving towards uh, the fourth wave or have experienced the fourth wave. There's no doubt about that. But let's step back and see what is happening in Europe and, and the United States. This is uh, the, the cold the season or the winter season. Uh, people are spending more time indoors now. Uh, and, and that contributes that to uh, the, the propagation of the virus because people are indoors, they don't necessarily wear masks and they consider themselves safe. And, and if you just think of how many times we have been indoor and you just uh, lower your guts, okay, with respect to maybe um, uh, during dinner or lunches, people take off their masks, they, they eat, they talk, and transmission occurs. I mean, that is just what, what, uh, what is happening. That, and then secondly is that they still, even though the vaccination numbers have in, uh, increased, have increased a lot in Europe, you still have 
uh, a large number of people that have not been vaccinated. And that those people that have not been vaccinated continue to be a pool, a reservoir for transmission of, of the virus. So, I mean, we have to learn from that very clearly. And that's why, going back to Judith's question about uh, uh, vaccination in Africa, we have to continue to move our vaccination up to the level it's supposed to be. It is not a choice. Africa is not an exception. We are not different from what we are seeing in Europe. So uh, there will be a fourth wave, there will be a fifth wave, and w the only thing that will enable us to uh, control the pandemic is that the, not the level of vaccination. If you actually look at the number of people in Europe that uh, have been infected, uh, it's not whether you're, in, you're vaccinated or not, it's really uh, do you end up in hospital or do you end up dying? And clearly the numbers are telling us that if you are vaccinated, the mortality there, that is the number of people who end up in hospital or severely sick, uh, uh, decreased. So I think that is the lesson number one we should learn from what we are seeing in, in Europe. All right, let's go to our WhatsApp uh, group. And this question is from Sarah Jervin, who is with DevEx. She says the global target set by the WHO is to vaccinate 70% of each country's population by the middle of 2022. How aligned is that with the goals of individual African countries and how feasible is it? Then she goes on to say, in a recent interview, Gavi CEO Seth Bartley said that they are planning towards that figure of 70%, but he also said that they are going to have to ask countries that are part of COVAX if that is what they want. So in many countries, a large percentage of the population is young. Looking at World Bank data, some of the countries in Africa have one to 14 year olds accounting to upwards of 30 to 40% of a country's population. The question uh, related to that, do these countries need to hit the 70% mark? That's a very good question, Sarah. I think there's clearly, if you remember, we, uh, the African CDC and the African Union and uh, the head of states had endorsed 60%. Let me start off with 60%. We were the first. Uh, uh, to say that we will vaccinate, uh, we wanted to vaccinate up to 60% of the population. At that time, uh, the, 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 the world didn't uh, uh, agree with us. I mean, they didn't believe that we, that was uh, necessary or they didn't, uh, I mean, it was simply that you needed 20% of the population to be vaccinated and you'll be fine. I mean, and we, we argued in the, on the contrary. That was last year, to be very specific, August the, the 20th. Uh, but I'm very pleased that the world has moved to, uh, closer to a position where they're now saying that we, we need to vaccinate 70% of the population. They, we are not vaccinating children as of now, I mean, as you, you can clearly see. But this situation is very fluid and it's very dynamic. If you recall, uh, when vaccinations started in the, in the, the developed world, they were not vaccinating uh, children. And now they are vaccinating children, as you can uh, you see in, in both the United States and, and Europe. So you, you, you cannot exclude anything for now. But again, you don't get to 70% uh, by doing, by, by skipping from zero to 70%. We have to develop an approach there. You, you vaccinate the vulnerable population, the active population, right up to the age of uh, uh, 18. 
and then uh, that is where you, you start. You categorize it and, and vaccinate it. Then you learn from the epidemic and you see how you can expand it to the, the, to the lower age. I mean, do we move the, the target of vaccination up to five years old? We don't know. We'll only wait and see how the data, what the data will teach us. So the short answer to your question is that, uh, yes, our population is young. Let's uh, set a target of vaccinating as many as possible. The children is, will be a different conversation and, and data, only good, only good scientific data will inform us as to how low can we go to vaccinate, I mean, uh, the, the, the population. But for now, our priority is to vaccinate uh, those, um, the, uh, the, the, the children up to uh, adults and then uh, look at um, the younger population, that is the five years old and, and to up to about 12 years old and wait for it and see how the data will play out. All right, uh, thank you very much. I think the other part of uh, Sarah's question was, how aligned is the 70% goal? How aligned is it with the goals of individual member states on, in, on the African continent? So the 70% is a target that has been set at a global level. And uh, uh, individual countries would need to uh, look at their own population structure and then uh, decide how, uh, uh, how much they want to invest in going down to the, the, the young age. And again, from a scientific point, I would say that your priority is not to vaccinate between the five years and the, the 14 years old. That is not a priority for now. It should be to vaccinate people above that age group. Okay, and so that gives you a guidance on how you look at your population structure in, within each country. So I don't know that uh, countries have set different targets, but we, we need to have a common target that will guide everybody across the continent. Okay, thank you very much, John. Uh, let's say hello to Simon Ateba. Simon, good morning, and uh, please go ahead. Yes, good morning. Thank you for taking my question, uh, and thank you for doing this press briefing. This is Simon Ateba with Today News Africa in Washington. I was just wondering if, Dr. Nkengasson, if you could explain to us again why is it that with no mask, no vaccine, no first-class healthcare system, no money, no food, no way of social distancing, no way of avoiding crowded buses, spaces, Africa remains the, the least hit by COVID-19. Does the Africa CDC need to carry out more studies to understand why? And I'm not just trying to give a sense, a false sense of security to anyone, but the facts seem to speak for themselves. The doom and gloom that was predicted by the West has failed to materialize in Africa. I mean, here in the U.S., we have vaccine, we have masks, we have everything, but more than a thousand people continue to die every day. And it's not just now, the same thing happened like more than a hundred years ago. So uh, do you have to do more studies to know if other factors like genetics and, and climate and environment have something to do with the way uh, COVID killed people? Thank you. Uh, Simon, you're, you're absolutely right. We have published a paper in Science, and that was published, I believe, in January of this year, that you can um, ask that you, re you read that. We titled it The Puzzle of uh, COVID-19 in Africa. Uh, there's a lot we know, and there's a lot we still don't know about COVID infections in Africa. But this is what we know. We know that the, the number of infections that we are reporting are a gross underestimate. 
that is period. We, we, based on our own studies, as you, you rightly said, Africa CDC is conducting studies, serologic surveys to look at the number of infections, uh, that uh, the number of people that have been exposed uh, or are currently infected. And in some countries, that number is about uh, 10 times more than what we, uh, we, 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 we have re seen reported from the countries in terms of the molecular uh, tests that they use, the PCR-based tests that are used in doing the reporting. If you now do a serology study, which is ask the simple question, have you ever been exposed to COVID? That is infected, you get rid of it, and you don't know yet, the answer is yes. So, that number, so the numbers we are seeing is clearly, uh, the number we are reporting uh, from member states uh, uh, is clearly an underestimate. And so that is one. The second thing is that the number of excess deaths that we have on the continent is similar to what we are seeing in, in, in other parts of, of, of the world. That is the excess death, meaning death that are occurring uh, uh, due to, uh, to, to COVID, not necessarily because of COVID. For example, if you have uh, severe malaria and you show up in a hospital or a clinic and that clinic has been closed or has been, or the beds have been taken by COVID patients, then you end up maybe dying of the, your malaria. It is because it is due to COVID that uh, you uh, you died, not because of COVID. So I think that uh, the excess deaths are also as uh, uh, represent a large number of dead, uh, people that are not uh, officially also reported. But having said that, you don't see uh, the prediction that you, you mentioned earlier, that large number of people. Remember, there were predictions that uh, about 3 million Africans would die within the first six months of, of the, the pandemic in 2000 and, um, um, 2020. That, of course, we don't think, even with the worst-case scenario, if you take a 222,000 number of deaths reported, you times that by, by 10. I mean, it still doesn't give you, uh, it, uh, it gives you about 2 point something million, but now over two years. Okay, so that is, I'm giving, I'm trying to use a very crude uh, uh, simulation here. So we have not seen that. So yes, the answer, the, the answer is we need to do more studies. Uh, studies are beginning to emerge. I just, uh, we just read last week about uh, interaction with, with malaria and, and COVID, where the, the the investigators, I think just the studies that uh, uh, were conducted, I believe, in Uganda, where they were expecting to see a worsening situation of uh, COVID in people infected with malaria, but uh, they saw the reverse. I think uh, that is uh, that studies were presented at the just ended um, a conference on uh, trop med tropical medicine uh, uh, that, that just took place. So there's a lot we don't know about this, this, this virus. I mean, a lot we don't know with respect to the interaction that it has with other coexisting pathogens and the genetics. So um, we shouldn't exclude anything. We should just conclude this piece by saying that it remains a puzzle, a puzzle that science will continue to uh, enable us to unpack and we need to do more studies. And we at Africa CDC are doing uh, more studies and we'll be publishing more studies to explain uh, our situation in the coming, uh, coming months. All right, so thank you, John. Let's say hello to Sarah Kimani. And Sarah is with SABC News. She says, considering the number of vaccines that have arrived on the continent, is there a need for any country in Africa to introduce the vaccine mandates at this point? I've always said that we, uh, we shouldn't get ourselves 
to a point where this uh, we need to the authorities need to implement a vaccine mandate. Having said that, uh, because of the nature of what we are dealing with, that it is not about you and as an individual, it's about the communities. If member states or countries would go to the extent of buying the vaccines, and most of the other doses of vaccines have been bought by taxpayers' money, and uh, other donations are coming in from the, the West, like the United States has done a remarkable well in donating vaccines, uh, to Africa, and then the vaccines are not used, then it, begin, it begins to be a, a, a moral issue uh, for, for everybody that is not receiving the vaccine because you are failing to protect yourself, but then also failing to protect uh, the community because you are part of the community. And that's where I see a policy orientation from some countries that are thinking of imposing vaccine uh, a mandate. Uh, uh, I think Africa would not be the only one. I mean, the United States has gone down that route, and other countries in, in the West have gone through uh, that route as well. But my plea to the continent is simply that vaccines save lives. Go get your vaccine and protect yourself, protect your community and your country, so that we don't need to impose a vaccine mandate. But if that has to be done, I think it, uh, there's, there will be no choice of, of getting uh, people to do the, uh, the uh, mandatory vaccination. Okay, um, Andrew Meldrum from Associated Press says, South Africa is experiencing an increase in new cases. Is this the start of its fourth wave? And is South Africa one of the 11 countries that are experiencing the start of the fourth wave right now? We didn't call uh, on the list of 11, I didn't uh, call South Africa, there, but we are observing the trends uh, by next week or in the next two weeks, we should be able to have clarity of the consistency of this, uh, uh, the ticking up of the new cases in, in South Africa. So for now, uh, we've not made a, a call on, on, on South Africa yet, but we are observing it very, very closely. I think Sophie also brought that up, but uh, just um, give us a, a week or two to see what is happening in, in South Africa. All and right, just, we have a sense will be that uh, very generally, this is the, the holiday season we are going uh, in December that many more countries will go in, in that direction because of the holiday uh, season. So my appeal would be that we should uh, actually um, celebrate uh, wisely and safely, uh, uh, celebrate our end of year, very deserving end of year festivities, but be wise and be safe, do that safely. Okay, we have a question coming from Roda Otiambo of the BBC, and she's making a follow-up to a question, to the answer that you gave to a question that came from Sarah Jervin. And uh, Roda says, if the Africa CDC believes that priority right now is not to vaccinate those aged between 5 and 14 years old, what then do you make of Kenya's decision to begin vaccinating teenagers, yet the vaccination numbers among the adults is still very low. As those are policy issues within the country uh, where each country would need to look at uh, their situation and, and make that policy. Which what, what, what do I mean by that? Maybe, and just maybe, I don't know what is guiding Kenya's decision there. Maybe their focus is based on the epidemiology. They are looking at infections they are looking at more outbreaks in that age group, especially in, for schools. Maybe they want to vaccinate 
those that age group to promote uh, schooling there. I just don't know. I mean, there must be a rationale why uh, they, they're opting to, to do that. But the only thing that would probably be the strongest rationale would be that they want to target that age group to continue to promote um, uh, the, the, the opening of schools. So I think, that, as I said earlier, uh, the vaccines are limited. Uh, the adults, uh, again, let's remember what these vaccines do for us. They do not stop transmission. They, they really uh, uh, reduce mortality and hospitalization. Some, of course, because you lower the viral load around your, once you get vaccinated, you develop antibodies, it reduces the viral load around the, the burden of, of, of virus around your nostrils and mouth area so that you can also imagine that it reduces the ability that you can transmit it to somebody else because it has reduced the volume of, of virus around here. But primarily what they do is that they reduce uh, the, the hospitalization and, and deaths. And so the, the, the point then is that who do you want to prevent from dying? There, is it the, the elderly, the, the young people, uh, or, the, or children? Uh, children and young people, based on the epidemiology and the science of this uh, pandemic, is that they get sick. Uh, they, they're infected. At the, most of the time, they remain asymptomatic. Or they get sick mildly, and they just, they just wave it up, and then they, they move on. So those who really get sick are those that the older you are, the more you, you get sick. So that is the rationale of rationalizing the, the vaccine and, and focusing on the, the children uh, a little bit later. Okay, thank you. Before we go on to our next question, I just want to quickly remind colleagues that uh, the link to register for that first public health conference in Africa that was mentioned by Dr. John is now on the chat and uh, you can have a look at it, uh, take note of it uh, so that you are able to register as soon as we finish our briefing. So that is the link for the first public health conference in Africa that Dr. John referred to earlier. And that link has been placed by Neke on the chat section. So please uh, do take the opportunity to take down that link so you can use it later. All right, we now proceed with our questions. And um, Elizabeth Merab has come back with another question. And she says, Kenya this week announced that unvaccinated people will not receive government services from December 21st. With many countries, the vaccination coverage still low. Is it time to have stringent measures to increase vaccination? And it has always been about free will to choose whether or not to get vaccinated. So that is uh, uh, what I said earlier. That I mean, first of all, you, you expect to see that trend move across the continent. The, uh, the move across the continent, meaning that uh, many more countries will be adopting such a, a policy uh, because uh, the leadership is uh, extremely uh, concerned that uh, efforts have been made to acquire these vaccines, but the population is not uh, using, take, picking up the vaccines, which is unfortunate. And then it continues to create a burden a herd body and an economic body. Uh, we just have spent a lot of time discussing the, the next wave and the effect of that. Uh, a lot of that is, it could be mitigated by large number of people vaccinating. So I think you, uh, that, that you see that policy shift where many more countries will be going through vaccine mandates across the, the continent. Now, the situation has changed a lot. 
and in, in Africa with respect to availability of vaccines. This, that situation has changed. I mean, we cannot uh, longer use the justification of, uh, of the past uh, to, um, uh, to make a case that uh, people are not having vaccines. The vaccines are there. I can give you numbers of uh, vaccines uh, by countries that have arrived and the uptake is low. If you look at the presentation today, I said that only 55% of, of, of vaccines that have arrived have actually been used now on the continent. That is really uh, an, an acceptable situation because of the distribution. Okay, and we, uh, so which means if people want to be vaccinated, they can be vaccinated. And we, I'm really making an appeal. I know I've said this over and over for uh, everyone on the continent who can, uh, 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 who have access to vaccines to go get their vaccines. Um, and that is the only way that we can protect ourselves. So, and avoid that uh, uh, the leadership, the political leadership will impose a mandatory uh, uh, requirement for vaccines to, to visit facilities or to do any type of, uh, of uh, functions. All right, uh, thank you, John. We have another question coming from Maggie Fick uh, from Reuters. And she says, um, do you have any information as yet on who will get the vaccine doses that South Africa does not want? I'm not aware of those, uh, the, which vaccines South Africa doesn't want. Um, if you can just shed some light on which are the vaccines that South Africa doesn't want. I'm not, I'm not privileged to, those, um, to the conversation of which vaccines South Africa is not wanting. All right. So let's go back uh, online and uh, we have uh, Sarah Jeving, who has another question. Sarah, please go ahead. Thank you so much. Um, we've been stuck at around 6% for um, quite a while in terms of vaccination figures. Why is the percent figure not rising more rapidly, um, given that there's been an uptick in vaccine shipments in recent months, uh, starting in July? Thank you. That's a, a very good question. I mean, we are 6.66% now. Um, we need to unpack that number to see which countries uh, are, are actually doing better. Let me, let me step back from that. Who are those countries that are doing more, a better uptake in vaccines than, than others? So let me... Uh, let us uh, devote a good chunk of our a briefing next week with respect to those countries and just kind of look at all 55 countries who is, has received what amount of vaccines, what have they used, and where are they with respect to their full coverage there. I think that we will provide you with a, a detailed, comprehensive uh, um, review of the, the situation at the next uh, briefing. Okay. Uh, Maggie Sick has come back uh, quickly, and I think this... Um this, this uh, is related to another message, so I will read both of them. So she says that uh, the vaccines that she's talking about are the J&J and Pfizer vaccines. And she says that South Africa has asked uh, the suppliers to delay uh, supply of the vaccines. But let me link that with an earlier message, which I also believe is from Maggie. Um, and it says that uh, South Africa has asked Johnson & Johnson and Pfizer to delay delivery of COVID-19 vaccines because it now has too much stock. Uh, and this, she says, has come from the health ministry officials. So she has clarified the types of vaccines that she's yeah. talking about. No, absolutely. It is not, um, it's not a rejection of the vaccines. I think it's very common for countries to look at their stock 
what they currently have and have not used, and then ask the, the, the distribution to, to be delayed so that they can clear their, their stocks, otherwise uh, to avoid the issues of, of, of uh, expiration. We have seen that with our own uh, at the other distribution where countries have come in and said, look, we still have uh, some vaccines in, in, in stock. We or we've just received an extra donation from another country, so delayed the shipment there. So I will not read a lot into that, and uh, I would not be surprised that in the coming weeks the existing stocks that South Africa has would have been used up, and they will be requesting that those vaccines, for especially from Johnson and Johnson, be uh, be shipped to them. And uh, and South Africa might have purchased the Pfizer vaccines. I'm not privileged to that. Uh, and if they did that, then they, of course they have arrangements that allow them uh, to uh, define when the vaccines should be shipped and when the vaccines should be uh, delayed. So I, I truly would not read so much into, into that. It's very common practice. Okay. I think let's now take our first, uh, our last question, and it's uh, coming from Judith Akolo, uh, who's with the Kenya Broadcasting Corporation. And she says, if children do not get very sick, is there a need to have them vaccinated? And she says, I'm asking because being vaccinated does not mean that they cannot still continue to transmit the virus since vaccination only prevents severe illness from the disease. So the, um, for children, uh, actually, is the, my, my, my take is simple, uh, as I said earlier, uh, let's use science to uh, inform what we are, we are doing. So children, as you already said, and everybody, once you're vaccinated, a couple of things happen. You, uh, the, once your antibodies have been developed, you, do, you decrease the viremia, or what you call viral load around the, 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 the area that transmission occurs, that is around your nostrils and around your mouth. So that is very clearly important. Because of that, it, it decreases the ability to move the virus uh, to somewhere, decreases the ability, it doesn't stop it from happening, but it decreases that significantly. Very, very important. But then what the, the vaccine actually does is that it decreases severity of hospitalization and, and death. I think that is also important. This, for children, the question now becomes, how do you uh, uh, make sure that, um, that uh, what is the, the, the overall goal of that? Is it to uh, stop the children from being infected? And if they are infected from getting a severe disease, which is limited in, in that category? And that's what I'm saying. Let's wait for the science to tell us that. Because if you recall earlier on, younger people in Africa were infected and they were not sick. They were symptomatic, but over time they started falling sick and and they, they, and actually dying. So that changes the dynamics again uh, completely. So again, only science will in, inform us of what at what age group does are, are people being infected and especially the children are they being infected and what does the vaccine really do in in that age group there? For one thing, vaccines do not harm them do not harm that age group. But do they really have a significant public health impact? I just don't know. I think we muted. Yeah. yeah. All right. I've unmuted. Thanks a lot. Um, thank you very much, uh, John. Now, colleagues, before we get 
to the final comments from the Africa CDC director. Let me just remind you of that link. In fact, there are two links that uh, Nekeron has put up on the chat uh, section. And uh, one is to enable you to register for that uh, conference uh, on public health in Africa as a media representative. So that's one. Then below that, there is another link uh, for you to register for a pre-conference virtual workshop for the media. So this one is going to happen before the main conference, and there is a link to that as well. So as Dr. John is giving his final comments, uh, please just make sure that uh, you register for those uh, two very important workshops. All right, now, Dr. John, it's time for you to give us your main headline points uh, from this briefing today. As you probably have uh, perceived from my insistence and repeated appeal to the continent, uh, my message today will be that we are approaching the end of year uh, season. Uh, December will start next week, and December to January, uh, a, a period of festivity that we all deserve. Uh, it's been a tough year, and or the tough past two years, and all of us deserve to celebrate with our families. Uh, but let's do that with, with safety at the back of our mind, that this virus is still there, and it's so much there. Uh, and remember last year that we, we issued the same warning, and in January we saw a very big outburst of, of, of virus there. So, and what are the advice? Uh, and we'll repeat this advice over and over during the holiday season: is that once you are indoor, the offer it offers an opportunity for transmission. So when you are indoor celebrating, keep your windows open, the doors open, let there be free flow of air as much as possible. If possible, get your good dinner or uh, uh, barbecue out there in, in, in outside so that you can get more uh, uh, fresh air uh, circulating to reduce transmission. We're just giving you uh, as best public health guidance so that um, we, you can celebrate uh, uh, safely. And secondly, is that avoid large crowds as much as possible. I mean, large gathering without masks offers an opportunity for the virus to be transmitted, even if you are vaccinated. Um, we all know that breakthrough is common. I had my Pfizer vaccines in, in April. Uh, the 30th was the last uh, vaccine. I, I still had a breakthrough in August. So it is there. I mean, it's, very, it's a possibility. It's not a theoretical possibility. It's a real possibility. So, as we celebrate, go to the end of year holidays, we should make sure that uh, we keep in mind, even those who have been vaccinated, that you can still have a breakthrough. Let's continue to adhere with public health uh, measures as much as possible, and especially protecting the elderly. And lastly, we live in a multi-generational uh, setting. As you go into the holiday seasons, let's protect our grandmothers, our grandparents in the villages that we visit them, you don't want to go uh, bring virus from the cities and to the remote areas and and, and create a, a, a havoc there. I think let's uh, be mindful of safety. Let safety be in, in, on our minds all the time that uh, in the middle of a pandemic, a pandemic that is severe and uh, we have not seen uh, the, the, end, uh, the light at the end of the tunnel because of the low rates of vaccinations. So I think that would be my message. I mean, I will repeat this over and over during this, the course of this um, holiday season until uh, the end of, of December. But uh, otherwise, uh, thank you for uh, being on the platform uh, this Thursday, and we'll continue next week 
with an in-depth analysis of, of the vaccine situation or, and the vaccination situation on the continent. Thank you very much, John. That was Dr. John Kenasom, the director of the Africa Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the Africa CDC, which is an institution of the African Union. And he was taking us there through the uh, situation of COVID-19 currently on our continent. And uh, just ended there with some very pertinent and practical advice uh, regarding the upcoming festive season. So colleagues, that's it for today, but we will be back next week on Thursday at the same time. So join us then. Bye-bye. 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 Welcome back. And uh, that was a briefing uh, from the African Center for Disease Control and Prevention in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. Uh, with the Director General, Dr. John M. Kangasone, uh discussing uh, COVID-19 and uh, the public health uh, situation on the African continent. And you're listening to uh, the Pan-African Journal, worldwide uh, radio broadcast uh, for today, uh, which is Saturday, November 27th, uh, 2021. Uh, we'll take a break. We'll be back with our concluding segment.
Welcome back, uh, the legendary Phyllis Hyman. And uh, we're going to move into our concluding segment uh, from Africa Live uh, from CGTN. Let's listen in. This is CGTN, China Global Television Network. Travelers are stranded in South Africa after new COVID variant sparked global fears. South Africa's Aspen ramps up production of COVID vaccines and anesthetics as the country stumbles to deal with Omicron variant. Welcome to Africa Live on CGTN with me, Beatrice Marshall in Nairobi. Also coming up on the program. Algerians vote in early local elections. And an entrepreneur in Ghana unveils user-friendly motorbikes. We begin in South Africa where travelers have lined up at airports to exit South Africa following countries including the UK, US, Canada, Japan and Australia imposing travel restrictions. The discovery of a new coronavirus variant called Omicron has sparked fear and caused panic. The World Health Organization says Omicron is potentially more contagious than previous variants of the disease. The COVID-19 variant has been detected in South Africa, Belgium, Botswana, Israel and Hong Kong. South African President Cyril Ramaphosa is due to hold a meeting on Saturday to discuss the new variant in Johannesburg's O.R. Tambo International Airport. Travelers are trying to make it back to their respective countries before borders are shut. Well, I, I'm on a business trip. My uh, trip back was supposed to be yesterday, so that was the plan anytime and anyway. So I'm leaving today uh, because the flight has been uh, cancelled yesterday. So I'm flying back and uh, I'm not really worried. I know I have to go in quarantine for 14 days. That's how it is. There's nothing we can do. Main concern, I'm not going to get back to England before 4 a.m. tomorrow morning, which is looking more and more likely. Um, so, uh, that, yeah. And I feel very sad for the people here as well, going back on the red list again, and who knows for how long. Not being able to see family, you know. It's been three years I saw my sister, last I saw my sister, the family. I'm not happy with the situation because I booked my flight on time. Everything was on time. Now I'm inconvenienced because I had to be at work tomorrow, but then they cancelled the flight. After cancelling the flight, if I arrive in the UK, because I'm quarantining in Frankfurt, if I arrive in the UK after 4 p.m., I have to quarantine in a hotel on my cost for 10 days. I don't have the money, I don't have the £2,000 to quarantine in the hotel. Well, less than two months after being removed from the United Kingdom's red list, South Africa has again been red-listed. The move by the UK follows the announcement by South African scientists on Thursday of the detection of a new COVID-19 variant. South Africa's government and the tourism sector have called this temporary ban a knee-jerk reaction by the UK government. CGTN Zelita Njamela has more. In addition to South Africa, Botswana, Lesotho, Eswatini, Namibia and Zimbabwe have been included in the list of countries that the United Kingdom has temporarily banned flights from. 
The news of the temporary ban has been met with shock by the government and the tourism sector here in South Africa. It is not just a huge setback, it's, it's disastrous, it's catastrophic. Uh, the implications go way beyond the supposed temporary um, banning of flights, commercial and private flights between South Africa and the United Kingdom. This is now spread like wildfire and um, almost on an hourly basis we're getting updates of more and more countries that are closing their borders uh, for travel between South Africa and, and themselves. Um, and whilst one was speaking of temporary, you know, we're going to have a medium to long term uh, damage uh, to our brand, which is devastating and the timing couldn't be worse. Um, we are about to enter what is uh, deemed to be our peak season, specifically for international travel. The tourism industry is still trying to recover from the previous travel ban to South Africa. South Africa's Department of International Relations says the UK's decision is premature and seemingly rushed as even the World Health Organization is yet to advise on the next steps. The Association of Southern African Travel Agents agrees. At the end of the day, this isn't about uh, this variant having um, been, should I say, started in South Africa. The fact of the matter is it was our laboratories who were the first to identify this variant. Why? Because we have some of the best laboratory testing in terms of um, viruses and strains in the world. So the fact of the matter is this virus could have started anywhere. We were just the first to identify it. This is the first point. Therefore, the placing of restrictions on South African travel makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. To the best of our knowledge, there's no reason to assume that the existing vaccinations cannot protect people against the new strain. And quite frankly, making decisions like this is a knee-jerk reaction without having all the scientific data at hand. The ban has brought on a lot of frustration for those who had already booked to travel to the UK and other countries that have put South Africa on the red list. Davina Davis had already booked flights for herself and her family to see her mother-in-law who they had not seen since the outbreak of the COVID-19 pandemic. Disappointed. Disappointed. Well, devastated. Um, I'm not the only one feeling devastated. I have seen so many people on the Facebook group just, um, some people are looking in tears because they had plans to immigrate and so everything while that threw a spanner in the work. And many had plans to spend um, you know, the Christmas with their loved ones, whom they haven't seen in years. So we are devastated. We're not sure what's lying ahead. We haven't cancelled our flights. We haven't done anything like that. We're just hoping to see what's going to happen in the next week or two. Derek Hackman, on the other hand, was due to travel to Brazil. Very disappointed. It is, you know. It's, the, traveling, the traveling for holiday is different when you're traveling with the purpose, which was our purpose. You know, it's a holiday, but it's to see family that we haven't seen for a long time. So having, having that in mind that you might not be able to fly for some time again, it is frustrating and it's upsetting. The new variant has been identified in 22 positive cases here in South Africa. Possible cluster outbreaks in the country's economic hub, the Gauteng province, are under investigation.
The International Relations Department has issued a statement saying the government has already started engaging with all the countries that have imposed the travel ban with a view to persuade them to reconsider. Yulisan Jamela for CGTN in Johannesburg, South Africa. To Algeria now, where the country's Prime Minister, Ayman Ben Abderrahmani, has cast his ballot. The North African nation is holding municipal and provincial council elections. CGTN's Nokutula Shabalala with the details. Algeria's ballot is taking place a year ahead of schedule, following a constitutional referendum. The referendum is widely seen as an olive branch from Algerian President Abdelmajid Taboun's government to the pro-democracy movement known as Hirak. It's a duty and I have to do it like I have always done. It's a duty I have to vote and we have to vote. We shouldn't only ask for our rights, we must fulfill our duties as well. Rights and duties go together. Authorities are still struggling to quell the protest movement two years after mass demonstrations forced former President Abdelaziz Bouteflika to step down in Algeria's biggest political crisis. We hope that there will be wide popular participation and that the selection will be made in accordance with the specifications of competence and integrity and in accordance with what is required and what citizens want achieved from positive change and real change so that we can all build the new Algeria. Over 115,000 candidates are running for municipal councils, and about 18,900 people are vying for state council seats. Residents, however, hope that these elections will be peaceful, free and fair. Noctula Shabalala, CGTN. The Egyptian Senate has approved a new law on the rights of the country's 7 million senior citizens. The law proposes all forms of social care and decent life benefits to these citizens. A report drafted ahead of the report says citizens who do not receive a retirement pension will be entitled to receive monthly financial assistance. Yasser Hakim has more. Rabia Mustafa is a 72-year-old grandfather. Out of work with no pension, he receives a $29 monthly allowance from the Ministry of Social Solidarity. I get 450 Egyptian pounds. They're not enough. Everything here is expensive. My electricity bills alone are 500 Egyptian pounds. We should have privileges in hospitals, for instance. That's what we ask for, to be treated like the rest like employees who have health insurance and other privileges. For instance, they want a lot of money to treat my stricken needs. Aware of their difficulties, the Senate approved a raft of measures to ease life for senior citizens, including the right for social welfare assistance and free health care services. This segment is very important in our society. There are about 7 million seniors and statistics say they will increase to 27 million by 2050. The law will guarantee a number of rights, whether in social protection, social welfare, rights in home care and institutional care. We also introduced punishments on those who violate these rights. The draft law stipulates free access to entertainment and sports facilities. Seniors with special needs will be entitled to a companion to provide all services, pensions and nursing homes, 
will also be offered. Though a budget has not been set by authorities, officials are promising hundreds of millions of dollars to implement this law. The state will establish a seniors fund that will be financed by several entities to guarantee the implementation of the clauses in the law. The fund will cover costs of the pensions, the seniors' homes, as well as companions for seniors. The state is obliged to implement this law to guarantee a decent and stable life for this segment. Hearing about the new law, Rabia Mustafa feels optimistic. It's very nice, but I hope it's implemented. It will make more people happy and comfortable. It will solve many people's problems, not just mine. Many people have barely enough to eat. It will make life better. The Senate bill is now waiting for presidential ratification before being put into force by the first half of 2022. Yes, Hakim for CGTN, Cairo. Senegal is set to host the China-Africa Cooperation Forum beginning on Monday. Speaking ahead of the forum and during the CMG Media Forum, Senegalese Minister of Culture and Communication, Abdullah Diop, says the cooperation between China and Senegal goes back a long way, promoted by respective heads of state under the initial push of Leopold Senghor and Mao Zedong. Let's have a look. The Executive Cultural Cooperation Program that the two parties have just stabilized will be signed at the next session of the Great Joint Commission for Cooperation between Senegal and China and will further boost our exchanges in all cultural subsectors. In other words, the Dakar Forum will be a great moment for meetings and exchanges. It will be a privileged moment to strengthen cooperation between China and Africa through the economic social and cultural potentials of African countries and China. Now, as South Africa scrambles to deal with Omicron, a new COVID-19 variant of concern, leading a drug maker, Aspen, is ramping up production of vaccines and anesthetics. The pharmaceutical giant has big plans to produce jobs for every person in Africa. It's also launched the biggest anesthetics production facility on the continent, which will boost stocks and scale up South Africa's capability as a sterile manufacturer. CGTN's Julie Shire reports. Africa's poor pharmaceutical manufacturing capabilities slowed down the continent's response to the COVID-19 pandemic and left most of its population vulnerable to the virus. The biggest learning from this COVID pandemic for the continent uh, has been that local capacity solved local problems. So in the midst of any crisis or when you depend on other people, they're going to look after themselves first. So localization has become a critical element. Localization of pharmaceuticals and vaccines become critical on the continent. Aspen was the only African drugs maker to locally produce Johnson & Johnson's COVID-19 vaccines at its Eastern Cape plant. So far, 120 million single-shot jabs have been filled and finished. Eight or nine percent has gone to Europe. The remainder, which is in excess of 90 percent, has gone both to the African continent and South Africa. We are expanding to the second phase, phase two, which is in quarter one, early quarter two next year, where we will expand to a region of 450 million doses. And then we've got an expansion plan thereafter 
to take us to the 1.3 billion eventually about 2023-24 financial year. Aspen has always been at the forefront of battling health crises. Production of life-saving antiretroviral medicine positioned South Africa as a leader in tackling HIV. It's further enhancing those capabilities with a $200 million investment, bringing anesthetic production, jobs and skills back home to South Africa. That investment now has positioned Quebeca as a very important and one of the biggest uh, manufacturing hubs for general anesthetics in the world. We of course have commenced production now. This is production for South Africa and global markets. South Africa will consume a very small part of what we produce in South Africa, 5% or less, and the majority of what we produce will be for export markets. Aspen's move to boost its products Welcome back, and uh, that was uh, CGTN uh, dealing uh, with uh, some of the most pressing and burning issues uh, on the African continent, and of course, uh, we are here uh, to conclude our program uh, for today. You've been listening to the Pan-African Journal Worldwide Radio Broadcast for Saturday, November 27th, uh, 2021, and we've been broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit, and uh, we're going to close out our program on the uh, birthday, the 79th birthday, it would have been of uh, Jimi Hendrix, and uh, today is November 27th, and uh, we're going to listen to, in closing out, the Jimi Hendrix Experience live at the Chicago Coliseum on December 1st of 1968. This is Abayomi Azikawe signing off and have a beautiful week.